please pronounce your names correctly for me. Thomas Lugmeier and Valentin Kendler. And you all run Contemporary Art Advisors here in Vienna. Yes, that's correct. How long ago did you start this? Well, we started uh, with this particular firm three years ago, but we um, all used to work in the industry for, for much longer because you, you don't really start an art advisory firm when you come straight from university. You need some kind of experience, uh, further knowledge, network. And um, yes, three years ago, there was the point when we said, let's do that together. Mm -hmm. I looked on your website and you, you all seem to have like the credentials, like everything looks totally legit it's like 25 years of this 15 years of that so how do we do that we only 30 <laughs> yeah no, no, no it's true i mean we we have a we have a background we both come from actually our background is uh, economics we both studied um, at the university of economics here in vienna and then went different ways so my background is actually more financial and um, also kind of investment banking and then starting out as a collector and uh, and then bringing those two things together and, yeah and that's a lot of people that happens with a lot of business people that, mm -hmm. that start to collect a little bit of artwork then it becomes a bit more passionate and sort of absolutely, just expands absolutely yeah mm -hmm. i think it was a um, it's a great opportunity if you like arts and the arts world to combine a, a decent job with a kind of hobby or passion that you have and this is what what our decision was just to clarify for the listeners and stuff, like exactly what is an art advisor versus like a, a dealer, a gallerist, a, what are the other, you know, all the other terms and all this, and, you know, the word advisor. Well, the advisor actually is on the side of the customer, I would always say. Yeah. Okay. So we are like the, the second advice or the help for the customer. So we are not, we don't run a gallery. We don't have our own artists, if you want to say, and we don't market any artist. So what we do is we are independent and we have the whole portfolio. So we, we can choose the best from the market for the customer. That's the main issue. Yeah? So we also among the artists, you know, I mean, there are artists, you know, that they have very good years, creative processes where they're really good works. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes they're not so good works. So also, so, so to say, even within the artist, you know, they're, we kind of try to choose and, and find the best works for the customer. Right, the, the stronger periods the of stronger their work. stronger periods, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, we have the, the galleries as um, very important business partners to us, so they are not, not competition, but we always work uh, with the galleries to, to get the, the artwork, so uh, they are very important for us uh, also as, as a corporation, um, as right, a business so you, partner. So you don't yeah. go around the galleries and go straight to the artists? No, no. We don't do that. No. Yeah, it's no. a common practice. That's why I'm just clarifying it mm. for you all. Yes, we, we decided not to do it because um, it only works short term and we want to do it long term. Yeah, it hurts. still young. <laughs> it, hurts, <laughs> it hurts the reputation if yes, you start doing yeah. things like that. So you can do it once or some years, but then your reputation is killed and reputation is the, the main asset that you have in, in the small mm. arts world where everyone knows everyone anyway. Oh, it's the same in the big yeah. arts world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, we, we do work with, with artists directly if they have no gallery, of course. I mean, we, exactly, we, yeah. we work with younger artists as well, with emerging artists that we find. We go to the studios and uh, we bring clients to the studios. We look at the work. But um, as soon as they have a gallery, of course, we go through the gallery. And, and, um, and another difference to what you mentioned, the art dealers, is that we don't 
buy on our own account and sell it. So we just buy for the customers, for the clients. Okay. So we don't buy and, and like put a fair amount of percentage on top of it and sell it again. That's, that's not what we do. We just choose for the customers. I think that's that's the main difference between advice, uh, art advisors and dealer galleries or gal primary galleries um, that um, we make uh, everything that's behind transparent. So our customers know uh, what the purchase price is, also at what price we bought it. Um, they they know um, all the pros and cons. We can actually um, CC them uh, in the whole correspondence that we have because we play with open books. And this kind of transparency is, is, a, is a quite big asset because um, very often, especially in the arts world, um, it's very hard to Uh, to find facts and figures Absolutely. that are reliable. Yes. And um, if an, uh, an, a gallerist or an, an, a dealer says this is worth 100,000, this could be a bargain or it's, it could be a ripoff. It could be both. And uh, so it's, it's very often a, a matter of trust and transparency. And uh, this is one of, I would say, one of the main um, components that we sell to our customers that we are completely open and transparent to them. Well, and that's one of the reasons why, like, I started this podcast is with the lack of transparency, the lack of, like, actual facts and knowledge and information. And, I mean, not even, like, numbers and figures, but, like, just facts of, like, I mean, like, I had an assumption about what an art advisor does, but I'm sure so far you've already sort of clarified it a little bit, and you're, I'm sure we're going to get even clearer on it. So, like, just exacting what do does everybody, what's everybody's role in, in this entire industry because it's there are a lot of middlemen and 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 bar and sort of bargain people like people that sort of deal in the trade of and things like this and it's like what what's the right one to work with and, and who works with what so like so from what you're saying if i'm an artist which by the way i am if i, if I was an artist i don't come to you you have to you a client comes to you or you find a client and then you then go out and seek works that they desire yes absolutely yeah we and and we also don't market um artists like galleries do mm -hmm. i mean we we are on the side of the customer so to say so we are the right hand of the customer we, we help him find the right works at probably i wouldn't say at the best prices but at good prices or at least transparency that's what mm -hmm. what valentin said you know tell them if that's the right, correct price for this kind of artwork. And now I'm fascinated by how do you know if it's the best price or the right price or a good price? It's a lot of experience, networking. Uh, we have a very good database uh, over the years. And you have your uh, own database? Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so because like I've spoken with other places, like I know a, a publication in the Czech Republic that does auction house, uh, you know, sales and things like that, and they run a da database. But you all have a private database that's just yours of your own information. Yes, that we built up over the years. Yeah. Mm. So you say built up over the years. So give me a little, a little bit of background. So you, you say that you've been working with banking and finance, and then some art collections and art collecting. So like, how did you? Because one question I always have about mm. anybody in the creative fields is, how do you get to the creative fields? You know, like, was it a, your parents that were some influence on you, some spouse, some teacher, some, you know, how did you approach and even enter into this? My background actually is, as I said, finance, but I come from a family where um, my parents collected art already. 
although not contemporary, <laughs> as a but lot of European as a lot of European families. Probably was contemporary. Well, it wasn't either because they actually collected uh, Baroque and Renaissance art. Uh -huh. So that's a good collection. That's a good collection, but of course, uh, centuries ago. Uh, and and I was always interested in art, and I went a lot to museums, and I grew up with a lot of art and culture around me. But contemporary was actually the, this kind of art that I fell in love with. Yeah, because when you're young, you want to have art from your age or your area, and, and your it's, it's it's more contemporary. That's what you want to have around you. It's like, it's like music. Like you don't love your parents' music, but you love the music of your own era, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely yeah. So now, when you say contemporary, do you mean like because I know there's like these mixed w words that drive me nuts, which is like modern versus contemporary, and like from what I understand. Modern is like 1920, more or less, to the present, and contemporary is currently being produced. Is that correct? It's uh, it's actually correct, and there is also um, in between there's uh, postmodern. Ugh. So after after Second World War arts, uh, the the thing is contemporary is a movable co category. So yeah. you can't. I mean, what what is contemporary now is different to the arts that was contemporary 20 years ago. Well, 20 years ago it was contemporary. Yes, at exactly. 20 years ago. Exactly. Like, so, yeah. so contemporary is right now. What's hap what happens now and what deals with the the uh, topics of today's society and today's art world that is contemporary it's it's very hard to say uh, uh, like a, a year number for that because um you know people don't wake up in the morning and or artists don't wake up in the morning and say okay so it's now it's uh, post impressionism and let's do some post impressionistic artworks or you could say like oh this piece is over five years old it's no longer contemporary now it's postmodern. <laughs> yes exactly but that's that's what could happen really <laughs> well but uh, in 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 the essence it's um it's what's what deals with today's society and today's yeah. artworks okay and so you are primarily deal with living artists more so than necessarily like estates and uh, historical works we we decided to uh, focus on um, art after 1945 okay so this is the main focus uh, and i would say 80 percent of our um, daily work Uh, concerns uh, contemporary artworks, so artworks that were made in the last, I would say, 10 to 20 years. All right. So now your clients, because of course, I mean, we're sitting in this stunning office that is very impressive. I'm intimidated. I have to admit it. So who are your clients? Who, who I mean, I always wonder, like, who are the people that need an advisor? And but sort of like, why do they need an advisor? Is it they don't have time or they just want somebody else to sort of help to curate their collection or like, you know, what's the reason for needing an, that these people need an advisor? I think it's, um, if, if I may answer that, um, I think it's a uh, different kind of people. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm sure there are many different reasons, but like, what, so what mm -hmm. are some of the reasons mm -hmm. why people come to the, the point of needing an art advisor? I think, um, That what's uh, what's helping is uh, there are people that are open to second opinions. You know, you you probably know. I mean, there are also people who, who uh, 
know everything or think they know everything. There's nobody that knows. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but but a lot of people think that, or some people think that, and uh, there we are probably not the, the the right business partner. But there are a lot of people who think, especially in the arts world, that uh, that um, that they uh, just love to have a partner or a, a sparring partner. Um, yeah to to um, discuss the things that are interesting or to to give them impulses or initiatives what other things could be interesting in the arts world and since we do it as a full-time job we usually um, have a, a very deep insight on the topics that they are interested in and so this is I would say this is a main motive for for people that come to us or that we approach where to start a, a a business relationship uh, and um, another thing that you already mentioned is time there is this type of person that says uh, he or she loves art and wants to collect um, but uh, is uh, doesn't want to deal with all the the side works that that are necessary also um, when, when you buy something so he wants to focus on uh, just the pleasure of going to art fairs yeah with probably a pre-select program so that you don't have I was going to go ask through all that. the 300 yeah. galleries, yeah, but have a pre-select program. Or he or she wants to want, doesn't want to care about the logistics behind or insurance things, and and this is all kind of part of our package that we. That so you do all that. So you'll yes. do like shipping, installation, exactly. insurance, like the whole. Oh, that's wow! That is worth a while. Then. Exactly, and uh, we usually because we we already know which firms are good at that and and which uh, things you have to watch out for so usually it's it's even more efficient and cheaper to do it with us than to do it ourselves well i've also heard stories and this is a little bit off topic but like i've heard stories about people going to like in particular art basel because it's in switzerland with the intention of buying what i call like the more expensive works because something there's like a, a tax free or or it less taxes in switzerland than if you buy it in some other countries kind of thing is that true well it's uh it's uh, not that easy it, i think it's a uh, a topic where uh it's it's actually about tax laws international tax laws yeah uh, so it's probably not, not the the right topic for the... I love it. You don't get it. There's this old joke in America anyways that says like you get 10 bankers together, they talk about art. You get 10 artists together, they talk about banking. Yes, so, exactly. so, like, <laughs> yes. so like I'm an artist and I am so interested in all these finance questions. Well, the thing is um, it's a very, very complex system. and uh, Which is what makes it really difficult for artists. Yeah, and that's, and that's I mean, coming coming from a financial background... This helps a lot, of course, because we found out that over the years, I mean, even within the EU, you know, you have different tax systems, VATs on art. Yeah. Like in Austria, for instance, you have 13%, which is a lot less than in Germany, where you have 19 currently. It was seven. And that's where and I was. I was in Germany and I was talking to some people in Berlin mm -hmm. and they were saying that a lot of their collectors will wait until they exhibit in Switzerland or some other country that has a lower VAT in order to purchase yeah. some of their well, art. If we, if we, for instance, find an artwork in Berlin in a gallery and we bring it to Austria and we sell it to an Austrian customer, he saves 6%. And that Which can be, can be a lot of money yeah. uh, if you have an artwork that's, I don't know, cost some ten thousands of euros. You Absolutely. Know? So that's another thing we kind of try to optimize as good as we can for the customer. 
I have no problem with you doing that because it doesn't hurt the artist in the end. Like if you did something that hurt the artist, took money away from the artist, I'd be like, no, 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 stop doing that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's just playing the system. Like the system's been created. You use it to your best interest to save as much money as you can while still everybody getting what they need. Exactly. And uh, there is a a legal um, framework um, and we used that legal framework, so there's nothing out of the uh, out of th- that it's not permitted. But it's just uh, if you give uh, those questions a second second thought, you can just save money by knowing yeah. knowing the rules yeah, yeah. and using them, uh, applying them correctly. I'm all yeah. for it. I think it's great. I mean, anything that will make it more advantageous for basically people to buy and make it easier and and in some ways even like cheaper to buy art because then theoretically they'll have more money to then buy more art kind of thing so like i'm good with all that as long as nobody's breaking any laws and nobody's nobody's taking money out of artists pockets or galleries pockets i guess absolutely how did you come to entering into the arts world well for me it was um a good possibility to combine something that I love with something I can earn money with but I I don't um, I mean my, my parents always had a, a high interest in, in cultural goods and books and also collected a little bit but um, I don't come from a let's say gallery family or someone who who already worked professionally in the arts world um, so I actually had to to build it up myself which was quite difficult because the arts world um, has very high entry barriers. Yeah, so if you start working in the arts world from scratch, you have to suffer. You don't earn money. Yeah, you have the baddest jobs that you can imagine just to kind of get a foot in, in that art world. And that, that's what I did during, uh, during uh, I studied. So I did all the, how do you say, uh, Ferial practica. Um, grunt work. Grunt work. <laughs> grunt work yeah. Mop the floors. <laughs> exactly. The dishes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cat- uh, um, Built uh, catalog archives and put. See, I sp- love doing that actually. Yeah, yes, well, you, you love doing it if you do it for half a day, but not for two months in the in the best of summer. Oh, but no, I actually do. I, I'm very, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little OCD. I okay. love a good filing system and organizational system. Okay, uh, actually, um, I I wouldn't say I loved it, but I had enough motivation to keep doing it because I knew it was for a for a kind of higher purpose in a way that I just want to stick in that field and. Okay, so you started in galleries then. So you worked in galleries. I worked in galleries, auction houses, in a in an arts foundation, in a museum. You're I did the one a- that worked at Sotheby's then, right? Exactly. Yes. So tell me a little bit about Sotheby's. Give me a good story about Sotheby's. Well, Sotheby's is a, is a great auction house and one of the two, two big ones worldwide. Um, and they have a great office run in, in Vienna, mm-hmm. which dealt a lot with um, classical modern art so and also if you think about Klimt and Schiele there was a huge market for that 15 to 20 years ago right now it's a little bit dried up because there's just nothing n- on the market n- not that works left anymore on the yeah. market they're all in museums or in in important private collections that don't sell but um, yes they it was a very interesting time for me and um, it I think it's important to get an impression on all the players on that playground and what they are doing and and what their roles are and yes that's that's what I tried to to do at the beginning and um, and after a while you get traction and and we ended up here with our own firm now like 15 years ago then 
Well, fifteen years after that. Yeah, I was gonna say a lot of I hear of one of two things with Sotheby's. Either people use Sotheby's as a stepping stone to sort of then go off on their own, or they stay there their whole lives, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And that's it. There's no in between. Like, so you're either a career Sotheby's person, or you you use it as an end, an entry level kind of thing, or something just to to get you to with some to some connections or some knowledge that then allow you to go off on your own. I, I would completely agree on that. Yeah. Going back to like the whole point of like, why would somebody need an advisor? But beyond the why, the needing of an advisor, who who needs an advisor? Like, I mean, the reason why I'm not, I'm not saying like literally name some names. I'm saying who needs them? Like, um, is it people who already have a collection, but then sort of are run are starting to get sort of pickier and they want a little bit more advice to, to sort of refine their collection? Or is this people who are literally starting a collection and from the beginning they go, ah, you know what I should do is build a relationship mm-hmm. with an advisor from the beginning. Yeah. I think we have both types of clients. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, we have clients that already have a collection and started collecting, choosing different artists and kind of want to build a structure. Uh, they found out that some things they bought were not that good over the years. Of course, it, as you know, taste also changes. And, uh, I mean, but the, the, entire, the entire art market is basically the same as a stock market in many ways because, I mean, it's, it's speculation. It's, it's hope. It's, it's expectations. But you just never quite know where the value of things are going to go. And it's also yeah. what, what we always advise people is apart from, you know, how the markets are and, and how, how interesting artists are and if they have a career or not, I always, we always say um, – you have to fall in love with the artwork, yeah, and that's that's really really important, yeah. Especially if you live with it, and if you like customers we have that start a collection, mm-hmm. I think it's very important to have to kind of fall in love. I mean, you see this piece of artwork every day, and it's so inspiring, and you always have a story that you have around it. I I mean, each and every art piece I own, I I exactly remember where I bought it, how the story was. Did I meet the artist? Did I meet the gallery? I mean, that's something you have in mind. And I think that's so important that this kind of spirit, this kind of falling in love with this artwork um, that, that, that touches you every day, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. I think um, this is also, I would completely agree uh, with Thomas. The, the thing is that if you um, get infected with this virus of uh, how, how uh, great the works are that that are I take a little offense to call art, <laughs> art a virus but it's okay <laughs> yes well a virus in a positive sense yeah. um, because it's addictive in a way it also is. and I think that the main thing is to be aware of uh, all this kind of value and ki- calculation topics because um, if you spend a certain of mon- amount of money you want to have some uh, some security that it's that there is a worth behind it, that, that there is a real real value behind it, also in a way that you probably would be able to sell it, even if you don't want to sell it. Um, and uh, this is something that um, usually starts with the collectors that, that buy uh, at a certain amount of money. Yeah, that they say it's not just uh, gambling money for them, Yeah, so that they say, okay, I like the colors, let's take it. Uh, but there is also an a slight investment background to it. Yeah. Yeah, but the investment background is not the way that they want to buy now and sell in two years with a huge yield. 
but the investment background is that they want to um, don't waste their money, mm-hmm. but that, that they know that their money is sustainable, is sustainably invested somewhere. Uh, even if their grandchildren might be uh, interested in selling it, mm-hmm. um, that's that's their idea behind. Um, I grew up in my household. My parents uh, they they did a thing uh, for their wedding anniversaries every year. They actually bought art for each other, and so they've been buying art. Mm-hmm. They have like a, a, a Matisse print. I mean, it's nothing special, but like it's a print that they bought for six dollars mm-hmm. back in like 1965. And don't get me wrong; it's only worth maybe a couple hundred dollars now. But it's just sort of fun. They're like, but should, they still have the label on the back of it that says they paid six dollars for it. So it's yes. very fun. Yes, it's sort of like well, even the, the Salvato Mundi by Leonardo da Vinci has a label on it for uh, about sixty pounds that was sold yeah. in the in the. Uh, 20th century, early 20th century. I love yeah. the backs of art pieces with all the labels and the stickers and the, the writings on them. Very much. Oh, yeah. so they, they say a lot about the artwork, Some, sometimes even more than the foreground. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the journey the art has taken. Like you see all these different countries and owners and oh, it's absolutely beautiful. You mentioned something about uh, the story behind the artworks, the, you know, that you have this the connection. I'm fascinated by this because I... Growing up and being trained, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I don't remember hearing conversations about story behind art, story, you know, the story of the art, the story of the experience. These days, I've been hearing nothing but story of, story behind, all this kind of stuff. Like this, be, this, this feels like this has become exponentially more important to the buyers, the collectors, all this kind of stuff. Because when it comes, I do portfolio reviews also, and I often tell the, the, uh, the, creators of this artwork that they, their artist statements should include some sort of empathetic or engaging story so that the viewer can then somehow impart their own experiences onto their work kind of thing and so this seems like a contemporary thing this idea of putting a having a story and putting a story into artwork is that am i right wrong i'm wrong about a lot of things by the way well i, I cannot speak for everyone but i have the impression that a lot of our collectors like the story behind and and what we see is that especially if you work with contemporary art you have living artists and we do have some collectors that would love or love to meet the artists i mean even though you buy the artwork at the fair maybe but if you have a chance to meet the artist then and say i have a work from you and to get to know him and what he's you know what is what is the things that he's inspired from and what's his background and that's that's fascinating yeah, but how often does it end up that there's somebody's like, oh, I want to be- meet the artist, and they meet the artist, and they're like, oh, fuck that, I don't want to well, buy Well, that it can anymore. also happen, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not like that person at well, all. Well, actually, we do have, actually, it's funny <laughs> that you say that, but we do have a, we do have a collector who, who only wants to meet the artist, and if he likes also the artist, he buys the work. <laughs> it's very funny. I mean, he has to like the art, of course, but yeah. he also has to like the person. Well, I think, and that's sort of the weird contemporary marketing game that we all have to play as mm. practicing artists that while we can make beautiful works we can make meaningful works to a certain extent we also have to play a little bit of the public relations game mm. whether we like it or not Matthew I think we, sh- we have to uh, differentiate two meanings of the word story in that way okay. um, the one is um, what you now call public relations and the other one is kind of the content of the arts work yes uh, and um what uh, Thomas was mainly talking about was, I would say, the the universe of the artists, the the content that's that's in in the artworks, which became 
in the last century more and more important because we were moving from more crafted kind of uh, artworks and, and, and to the patron funded mm -hmm. kind of stuff to these sort of free arts too. exactly to to more to much more con conceptual approach where where ideas of behind became much more important well and they came from the artist instead of from the patron exactly exactly right. you are very right yeah. yes okay mm -hmm. so okay excellent i have a great question with that so mm -hmm. when you're going to look at an artwork for a client Now, keep in mind, I'm a practicing artist myself, and so I have an interest in this, and I do portfolio reviews, so I'm interested because I want to give good advice. How important is the balance between the, like, we'll call it artist statement and the quality of the work? I would say artist statements are more important for the artist than for the, for the uh, collectors because it's like finding yourself in a way and putting that into writing. And I don't know many people that read artist statements. <laughs> I have to honestly say that's great. I love which, hearing which that. Which doesn't which doesn't mean that they are unimportant for the artist because um, I mean it's also a self-reflectory process to be an artist. It absolutely right? helps and, me and to this, grow, to look back on exactly. myself, to say like, what, where should I go next? I exactly, it, but, exactly. Um, but I always wonder, from the mm -hmm. buyer's perspective, from the mm -hmm. viewer's perspective, how important are these things? And I mean, I know for grants and residencies and, mm. and institutional things. Like oftentimes they're very important, mm -hmm. but I'm. But we're talking with you. We're talking about just buyers. Yes, and I think they, there are different things that they fall in love with. One could be simply the aesthetics. There are people who just like the aesthetics, not even knowing anything about the artist or the artwork. Uh, in uh, more, more than that, well, uh, that well, actually, and go beyond that. How important are their CVs? Like, basically, it sort of goes to like, what kind of research do you do? So beyond just like the price of the work, the the, mm. the works that are on the market by the artist, that kind of stuff. Like, what other research goes beyond that? Like, so do you look at their schooling? Do you look at their an exhibition records? Like, is mm. it, what's important? Well, uh, for the quality of the artworks, they they can't be important. Um, whereas I have to say that um, if you are in a university uh, and you you were art student for four, five, eight years, then uh, this of course gets you some deeper insights on on what art is and what good art is and what's what's also as a kind of self-finding pro um, process uh, what you want to share with the others as an artist and uh, universities are great forums for that because you have students uh, colleagues you have teachers um, and um, and uh, of course this doesn't go unnoticed if you decide to do that professionally for long uh, uh, long time of money a long time of long time, of long time. <laughs> so so i would say if you go to a university the chances that the quality rises is very high which is a good thing secondly the art world is very selective and selection usually goes uh, or works with i would say stamps yeah so you have like a stamp book and and you you put in stamps or little trophies yeah so if you go to a mm -hmm. good college let's say goldsmith college or something that has a good name mm -hmm. it of course helps you find a good gallery it helps you get into good institutions and so on and so on yeah which actually um, goes to a theory i have help mm -hmm. me out with a theory i have okay <laughs> 
from my conversations, I've had this, I've got this theory that like a way for an artist to be like a good artist, I'm putting air quotes on this, like a successful artist. If they have a reputable gallery, a reputable curator, a reputable collector and a reputable publisher, then they're pretty much lined up for success. Like those are the four key connections that if they can get all four of those, they're golden. I would agree. But there are always exceptions. Darn it. <laughs> I'm um, trying to find a system. <laughs> there is not the system, but it helps, of course. And I mean, as coming back to your question, yes, we do check all of this, of course. Uh, we, uh, we look at the, uh, the university background. We look um, at exhibitions, group exhibitions, solo exhibitions, galleries. I mean, we do check all of this. That's part of our job, of course. And... Um, but there's always it's always interesting because there's no general rule. I mean, this helps a lot, and but it, it doesn't show that this is the only way to success. There's there's always exceptions, and we we found artists that where you could do a checklist and say yes, 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 but still fell out of the system for some reason. Well, but, and there are people outside the system. You're Henry Darger's, you're yeah. Milosov Tisha. There, there are artists that had no university uh, kind of education and also highly successful Absolutely. because they're very talented, you know. And so it, it's, it's, it's hard to say, but generally speaking, yes, you could say probably 90% if you do this checklist and to say yes, 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 it's, it's a kind of stamp, so to say, for, for a career. But not necessarily there's always exceptions and also you know artists are creative people and um, sometimes they have um, for some years they don't do anything they have a, a creative uh, block block yeah. or anything and then or family obligations yes or some of other course thing. Or, or, or you know we we do work a lot also with with younger female artists that you know, they, they become become children and, and then for some years the career is, is stopped, you know, and it's also, also hard to come back again, you know, after two or three years. Well, so I, it's, I it's, a there's a lot of thing. different well, reasons. Like, I went to the Middle East. I work figuratively and, and, and I went to the Middle East and like I couldn't show my work in the Middle East <laughs> because it's figurative and like they don't like that very much. Mm -hmm. So like I, in my career, I have like a six-year gap of like, not as very many exhibitions, not as much, not as active as I was prior to moving there. And so, like, it's interesting because, like, it's I've had conversations with female artists, and they talk about like having to take time off to have children and then come back in and have that that gap time. While it's not, it doesn't, it's not a problem. People don't necessarily have a problem with it, but it, it needs explanation. Like, they they do have to. Mm. They feel the need to say the reason why I did that was blah. And and usually people are accepting of it but that it needs explanation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Europe, I have found that oftentimes the lineage of an artist also. So like when they go to school, they, they learn from a particular, there's a like in the schools, there's a teacher that they, they go in and they actually put that in their CV and they put that in their artist statements and they put it in their exhibitions and their catalogs like that. I'm le learning from, now, I come from a different country, well, a different continent. And we don't do that in America, unless, it, unless of course, my teacher was like, oh my God, like, you know, if I was learning from John Baldessari or something like mm -hmm. that, yes, I would absolutely put that on my CV. But short of like these great masters that you learn from, but here it's incredibly important, this lineage of, of like master apprentice almost kind of thing. That's very true. Uh, it got a little bit softer. So, um, but there is usually, or there was usually this concept of, uh, in German, a Meisterklasse. 
so masterclass. Yeah. So uh, I would completely agree with what you say. There is this student-teacher or mentor relationship, and one of the first uh, first questions uh, of the people is, okay, so who did he study with? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, which can be uh, just name dropping because sometimes professors are, well, they are just giving their brand name <laughs> but I'm not really don't really spend a lot of time well, like with my the teachers. students yeah my teachers that I went to my master's program with nothing personal I enjoyed my time and I learned a lot from mm -hmm. them but I don't think they would be um, happy if I dropped their name because All right. like, we, we didn't necessarily get along <laughs> yes so like you know so that's why you know so like I don't use my professor's names while they influenced me and, and, and they you know they did affect me and all this mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying they were bad in any way but in america like it's basically like if you if they don't like you you don't use their names mm -hmm. but whereas here it's like if you're in the class and you graduate you use their names mm -hmm. that's very true yes uh, i think what i would add to, to what thomas said uh, before is it uh, of course helps to have these kind of stamps and trophies in your in your cv uh, to progress further but the exceptions are also often especially interesting because uh, they come very often from completely another field they are, I don't know um, insect scientists or something like this or, uh, come from mathematics or something and um, when they express these uh, things in in the arts world this this can be com can completely blow your mind because it's so uh, so uh, such a new perspective which which is especially interesting and possible in the arts world that is always in interested in new and innovative things. So this kind of cross-field interaction is uh, especially interesting in the arts world. It's, ju it's, ju it's, ju it's just very risky. So uh, if, you, uh, if you studied pottery and, or are an, an some, a, a writer, it's very risky to become an artist. I mean, sometimes it turns out great, such in the case of the, Edmund de Waal. But the, the arts is always a risk. Yes, but the risk is, I would say, even higher if you, if you uh, didn't, um, don't have the, uh, fun, the fundaments hmm. of, of all these kind of art right, stamps. Right. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, we have a huge um, respect for, for the courage of artists to even take this career path in a way um, because it's I mean it, it grants a lot of freedom but it's extremely risky because if you look at the statistics a lot of our artists can absolutely not live on what they produce artistically so it's 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 very two-sided and uh, and we we very much appreciate or respect uh, that decision to even though uh, do that well, and that is the point of the podcast in the end. Like the the long-term goal of this podcast is to try and give everybody more insight and knowledge about how the industry functions in order to, so that everybody, so I don't care art advisors or artists or curators or galleries, whatever, that we all can make a better sustainable living mm -hmm. through the arts. Because there's so, I feel like there's so much risk involved in choosing to go into the creative field. So mm -hmm. like whether it's applied arts or, or free arts, whatever, but like it's, it's a very risky choice. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, especially like you all, you come from banking and, and finance, like you could easily just like stay safely with that kind of stuff. And you would do probably, you know, 
very well, low stress, all this kind of stuff. But choosing to shift into the arts, that's a it's a, a sort of inviting instability into your life in many ways. I mean, I did it because, of course, I just chose the career. So, like, I'm destined to do it mm. whether I like it or not. For, for us, it's, it's inviting, but I think it's a, a different league of what artists do because they, they mainly work as a, a one-person firm right from the beginning uh, without any economics or business administration background how to lead a company. And they are, in a way, a company with one product, namely themselves and their arts, which is also very tricky because s selling yourself is sometimes very difficult. Oh, it's the worst. Um, exactly. And, and the worst. And in, in a lot of cases, uh, very good artists are very bad at selling their stuff. Thank so, you. so this this is a very complicated uh, environment for them, and yes, we we can't respect it uh, too much because it's a really very uh, brave decision to do that, and it it's an, a very important decision because this is, I mean, our cultural production, if I may call it that way, it's just. Uh, what makes human beings different from animals it's it's one of the the main uh, foundations uh, why we why we um, are human beings so you all are based in vienna um or do you only generally work europe with european clients and or european artists or are you worldwide do you, you know, how how wide is your reach well most of our clients are based in austria germany and switzerland so the german speaking countries makes it easy for you yes and um, but uh, from the perspective of the artists there is no limit so to say mm. I mean of course we must say that our main focus is Europe US uh, but um, we, we, we just advised um, a customer to buy some great art from a South African artist so I mean it it's what what we find what we focus on I mean we, we travel a lot we, we go a lot to art fairs we go a lot to museum shows, we travel a lot and see a lot of things. So, And you know there are no boundaries anymore. So artists, especially, I mean, there's, there's so many artists, let's say from the US, from, from South, South Africa, from Israel, from you name it, that live in Berlin, for instance. So the, the, the world is it's very small. So we Berlin find- a great place and, for artists. And we go a lot to Berlin. Uh, we work a lot with, with galleries from there and we, we, we love to go there. There's a lot of great artists living there, great studios. So um, there are no boundaries, so to say. And I think the, the reason why the, our clients are mainly in, uh, in the closer region, so Germany, Austria and Switzerland, is um, because it's a um, high trust product that we are offering. So we need very good personal contact with the with our clients to to do our jobs good and um, this this is in our case since we are based in Austria and we're German speaking um, we have the network in, in more in these areas I think the the um, product itself works all over, all around the world but it's very uh, depending on personal network and since we have this in this region uh, this is where our clients are I mean, that's the whole arts industry, though. It's all personal connections mm. and, and relationships in the end. Like, I mean, we can all say, like, oh, Instagram this and whatever social media thing that. But, I mean, in the end, it's all going to come down to personal connections and stories. Yes, and, and also trust. I mean, in this, in this field, uh, we're talking about money and sometimes a lot of money. And it's a lot about trust and recommendations. 
it's also where we get most of our clients from is recommendations. Well, and, and that, okay, so now I'm interested. Okay, so if you have a client, and let's say, do you ever have a client that just come say, I want to start collecting, but I don't know what I want to collect? Does anybody ever do that? Yes, it also exists. Funny enough, it yeah. does. Yeah. Okay, where do you even start with those people? Well, a good thing is what I always tell clients if they're new and if they, 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 they know they want to start a collection, they know they're interested in art, in contemporary art, but let's say they hardly know any artists and don't really know what they want to start collecting. What I like to do or what we like to do is to take them and go to an art fair. Sometimes that's a very good start. Do you do like the VIP like things? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. we also do that. Yeah, those are so <laughs> Well, I mean, depending on the client, some, some, if they have the time, you know, because the VIP day is usually during the week. So it's uh, Wednesday or Thursday sometimes. And if they only have time on the weekend, then we have to go on the weekend. But <clears throat> if it's possible, yes, it's also a nice experience to see how all this works. Oh, and yeah. the whole I, I did them at Art Dubai and Art Abu Dhabi. And like I mean, there's such an energy. And if you go to Art Basel or Fries or FIAC, and we travel a lot with our clients, we go a lot to, to art fairs. I think it's, it's, it's fun. First of all, you see how, m how many galleries, how many artists there are, how many artworks. It's, it's, um, it's really, really challenging, sometimes also threatening <laughs> to some people because it's such overwhelming, an overwhelming yeah. amount of art. But I think for people who don't really know where to start and what they like, I think it's a good start because you get you, you don't necessarily necessarily have to buy anything there right away. I, I <coughs> sometimes I, I even recommend not to do mm -hmm. just to find out what they like. You know? Yeah. Well, that's like the old saying of like a, a, a gallery that goes to an art fair. The first year they don't make any money. Second year probably don't make make any sales. It's the third year when finally people go, "Oh, you're serious and you're coming back." So like now you've built a reputation and we trust you because. You've been sort of reliably coming back and back, and same thing with like buying art. Like maybe it's not you buy it when you first see it, but sometimes maybe you, you see it again next year and you see it's gotten maybe a little bit better, and and, you, and, you, and you're connecting with it better, kind of thing. Yes, the the arts market is in general a, a slow burning market. So um, I would completely agree with what you just said, and um, I think it's when when we. Um, uh, to take your example, start with someone who never bought anything. Uh, it's uh, very helpful to show also the the arts world, the international arts world, not just the Austrian one, because people usually start um, with the the usual suspects that yeah. everyone knows and all the friends have. Yeah. But uh, as soon as you see what's out there, you get really, really astonished. Yeah, and then people fall in love with all other things. But um, yeah, and one of the, the, the our uh, motivations is also to to show what's what's else there in the world on on great artworks and great artistic positions. And then you see also how small or how how few important artists worldwide are with an Austrian passport, for example. Uh, but everyone is talking about them in Austria. And that's that's very interesting to us also, always to see. And sometimes it's even the other way around, that there are Austrian artists that are huge stars internationally, but Austrians don't know them. Yeah. yeah so it's it goes both ways. Yeah. And uh, what we also found out is the process of buying something is really very very important i don't say that from a from a business perspective also of course but um but it changes 
how people think about arts. Yeah? If you buy something, you spend a amount of money that you that you earned hardly over the years. Uh, you spend it on on something specifics and, and artwork you make a decision if, and if you don't mind me asking mm -hmm. would you be willing to say like sort of like an average amount of a, a price point that your clients purchase like I'm, I'm just sort of wondering like are we talking like a thousand euros ten thousand euros fifty thousand hundred thousand like sort of a range um it usually starts with a five digit um numbers i don't know what five means ten <laughs> thousand and more thank you okay. <laughs> you're welcome okay. um but um but I would say that's that's okay. um, yeah, the no, average it, it just gives where it also a, makes yeah. sense to to invest something. Well, because like I'm sitting here, I'm like, well, but, you know, when you're a new collector, oftentimes people say like, um, uh, you know, works on paper or edition things are good. But like, so when you're talking ten thousand and higher, you're you're talking original pieces, not uh, editioned things. So well, you're, you're already beyond that version. There are also editions that are very valuable. Uh, if you buy. Andy Warhol, Marilyn's, or, sure. or, or or Roy Lichtenstein's, or Keith Haring's, for example. But um, what, what I wanted to say is, if you spend an amount of money that you earned before on an artwork, on an object, this changes you in a way. So mm -hmm. you have committed yourself to it. Yeah, you you uh, live with this artwork, and you you love it, or you hate it, or it it just changes you, mm -hmm. and it lets you grow as a collector. So. It's very interesting to see how the collections over the years also develop. Uh, so people sometimes um, start with very different things than they end up with or that they buy five or ten years later. Oh, I know. And, and it's not really, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's our purpose or our task not to uh, avoid that. And, and show them what they would have bought in 20 years, but to accompany them in the process. Sure, grow with them. Yes, exactly. So what, what we do is we, we tell them if, if, if they see something and they probably just fall in love, love with, it, with it because it's aesthetically great, then we might say, well, um, this, this could be eye candy. This could be just something appealing to the to to your eye, mm -hmm. and you probably won't like it in 14 days. Yeah, let's look at these or those works. Mm -hmm. But very often, um, very often, it's even important to buy those works to make that experience yourself as a collector. Yeah? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking um, of negotiations are, also, because like a, a bad negotiation or some sort of a, a that gets tense could make the artwork no longer enjoyable to own if you the act of buying it was not enjoyable also. Exactly, exactly. And um, I think it, it, you learn the most as a collector if you buy it, if you commit yourself to it, and uh, then you see. Yeah? And, and then you grow with the, with the purchase decision that you made. That's, that's um, an experience that, that we made in the last years. Yeah, as I, as I said before, the taste changes. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I'm, think, I'm thinking here in my head, like, like <laughs> what if... Because like I, I had a collection of work that I had, and then I got married, and my wife doesn't like most of what I collected before, mm -hmm. and so like I sort of am going to have to get rid of that and sort of 
tailored to the new taste. And I'm sure at some point we're going to be buying a house or building a house. And then, of course, we're going to need art to suit the style of that house, mm-hmm. whether we go with a historical home or whether we go with a contemporary home. So, like, you know, styles change and people evolve in their interests and things like this. Mm-hmm. So, like, do actually, which lends to a question. That, so, you help in purchasing, but do you help if your clients want to uh, offload some stuff? If they sell things, do you also assist them in the, the transition out of a yes we also do that yeah yeah Yeah. as i said before sometimes uh especially if you have collectors that have uh already existing collections and kind of want to structure them maybe kind of uh get rid of some artworks or want to have a deeper focus in some way or want to move from additions to unique pieces Mm -hmm. things like that i mean there's all this was all what happens. Yeah. Two-dimensional to three-dimensional, that kind of stuff. A- or absolutely, yeah. Pop art to whatever. Whatever. I mean, there yeah. are so many aspects, and that's what makes the job so interesting, I must say, because it's each and every collector is, is completely different, uh, collects different things, has different interests, and and that's that's what it what makes it really really interesting. Yeah. Have you seen any trends of interest sort of over the course of your career? It's like I mean because we know that the the art world sort of goes in waves of interest kind of things. Like are there anything that you're noticing like people are more interested in now let's say than they were 5 or 10 years ago or less interested in for that matter? I mean I think there is always this uh, pendulum yeah. going uh, two ways between um, figurative and conceptual. <gasps> yes, I yes. want to know that because I work <laughs> Yes, and all, every 10 years people say painting is dead and then they say conceptual art is dead and it always goes yes. goes like this for the last century, uh, well, let's say decades. Yeah. yeah? And um, so this is something that, that we are very much aware of. How's figurative doing? Because I work figurative <laughs> like... <laughs> Well, if you look at the fairs, it's doing um, at the fairs, it's doing not so bad. Yeah. Um, in the institutions, it's not very. I wouldn't say there is a lot of focus on it. Yeah. So, I would go with that. Yeah. I mm-hmm. I hear that figurative is starting to come back into favor. I mean, it's not in favor right now, but it's starting. So, like the pendulum is beginning to swing back, but it's not. It's definitely not the favored thing right now. Mm-hmm. Conceptual art. I feel like I see a lot more of on the market and in the institutions right now. There's a very strong interest in that, right? Definitely, now. yes. And I, I mean, I remember photography. There was, uh, I mean, f- 30 years ago, people people said, I mean, there was, of course, photography, but people said, well, it's just a photo. So people were not really taking this serious as an, a category of arts. I know. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a photographer. <laughs> I know you I said that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, but uh, lucky, lucky for you, it this changed. You know, there is. Oh, it didn't change. That much. <laughs> wow. Well, there is. Um, I would say, if you look at um, all these Bernd and Hila Becher students who are now all big stars, mainly, um, or people like Annette Kelm. I, I mean, in Germany, there is a huge interest in uh, photography, even though if, if you look at the, the works they do, they don't really see themselves as photographers, I would say. I, I got the impression that they use this medium to express a certain thing, but they also could do it in other medias. Um, so it's not photography for photography itself, such as uh, Gursky. Yes, or, or even uh, um, past that, uh, people like Cartier-Bresso or 
Yeah, he was purist. Yes. Exactly, yes. Yeah. But it has um, uh, it has more the the importance of the concept behind than the aesthetics. Even though I wouldn't say that with Gursky because no, most yeah. of the words, works are very aesthetic. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm. I mean, I'm always. Fat. I come from a background in photography, obviously, and and. I've transitioned out of photography. I'm using less. Fo I mean, I'm now. I see photography as like my underpainting. It's my sketch that I then build something off of because the, photography as is as a thing is really tough these days because of social media and all these other things. Like the value of an image alone is not as revered as it once was i mean because like it used to be expensive you used to need to have professional equipment professional training to make beautiful images in photography and mm -hmm. like these days quite honestly mm -hmm. the phones i mean they make beautiful images they really do and you don't need professional equipment professional training and all this kind of mm -hmm. and stuff so like i kind of just said forget it i'm done with it because I, i don't want to compete with all that stuff because mm -hmm. it's just too much mm. but I, I think it's a good example for example if you um, I mean there are artists that, that just uh, use iPhones yeah as, as photographers which saddens my heart <laughs> yes if you have a more traditional or classical approach this must be very painful. very painful, very painful. <laughs> um, or artists that, that well they, they do photo works but they the The message has nothing to do with photography, like Richard Prince, um, uh, Instagram uh, posters, uh, and know. things like this. Know, yeah. So this this become very diversified and very very dif different. Well, actually, which lends to an interesting question that I have. So, uh, from your experience, and keep in mind this is just your personal experiences. I'm not asking about the market as a whole. Uh, wh what would be sort of a, like a, t a, a, a a list of people purchase this medium the most and then this medium and this medium and this medium so like what's the the most purchased like painting then sculpture then what you know, how does it trickle down yes i think painting is number one definitely mm. but wait within that oil painting or acrylic or mixed media like or is there even any sort of finite thing within that Well, people usually don't see a difference between oil and acrylic, but um, I would say the, the main idea is that when you don't have an arts background and you think about artworks, the first thing that comes to the mind is, is a painting. Absolutely. And uh, so, so you kind of pick people up where they, where they already are. And uh, you have a f I would therefore completely agree with Thomas that painting is, is number one. Um, and I would say then it's photography. Really? Yes, I would definitely so say so. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, it's good for you. Yeah, it is good for me. <laughs> But I mean, I'm 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 actually shocked. But I mean, you tell me more about that. Why? Why? Why do you? Or, so, is it because you all have an interest in it, or is it because your clients actually have an interest in it? Like the people actually have an interest in photography. Uh, we we were just uh, thinking about the, the clients' interests now, not not what we would perfect uh, personally buy. But Which I would is say an interesting question: What do you collect? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's stick with the topic. And then there is uh, number three: is this kind of I would say everything else kind of things, intermedia, multimedia kind of stuff. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I would. So, so sculpture, not a not a big thing. 
not for private clients. Like you all, I, I, yeah. I just wanted to say, I mean, most of our clients are private clients, although we have some corporate clients as you well. Say corporate institutions are yes, a bit different. Yes. They have the space for yeah. it and all that if kind you, of stuff. If you look at companies, for instance, um, let's say they have a, a huge office, a new office, they want to have artworks, then a sculpture could work fine in yeah. a lobby or something like this. Absolutely. But in a private home, it's a little difficult. Although sometimes we do have, we're looking for sculptures for gardens, of course, outdoor sculptures yeah. that, you know, can also resist bad weather. <laughs> and um, so that, that can be an issue. But I must say inside, it's a little less. Yeah, it's more, it's more on the corporate side, institutional side or outdoor. It makes sense. I, yeah, it totally makes sense. Well, yeah. So, uh, side note: What do you all personally collect? You both said you're collectors yourselves. I mean, sort of. So, you work in the industry. What do you end up collecting? I actually started out with painting as well because that's sometimes the first step. Um, but as 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 I said before, taste changes over the years, and the collection diversified a lot. I do collect a lot of photography art, actually, a lot of Eastern European artists as well. Define um, Eastern. My wife and I mm -hmm. had this debate because she's from the Czech Republic. I actually, as, I do have Czech Republic artists as well. As, yeah. a, as an American, and it's horrible that I do this, but as an American, I call the Czech Republic Eastern European. As a Czech person, they call it Central European. <laughs> okay, then I then I, I must add Central Europe, <laughs> Central and Eastern European. C E E. Yeah, it's Polish. It's Polish artists. Um, <coughs> I actually do collect a lot of Polish artists. Yeah. I like them a lot. I like this this mixture of conceptual art, the influence of this kind of 20s, 30, 1920s, 1930s mm -hmm. uh, art. Um, they, they kind of are inspired from and and you can see that yeah they do, I know that's they do a lot of work they, they work a lot with collage type of things that's what I like yeah. but not necessarily only this but I, I do have a focus in my collection of the CE art definitely but um, CE but apart from that I also collect I don't know it, it doesn't necessarily there's no geographic focus at all I mean those are things that I like that I see a lot of German arts artists as well, so it's it's quite yeah. international. And over the media, I mean, it's it's painting. It's I do have some sculptures. Mm -hmm. There's photography. There's a lot of collage. There's also drawings that I also like. So it's 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 a wide area actually. Mm. Yeah. What's your collection? Well, I actually, um, I, I think Thomas has a much. Um, bigger personal collection uh, what we actually did is uh, we also buy some some artworks for our company really no, that's yes it's not a lot but so but you have a little corporate collection i wouldn't call it corporate collection but <laughs> but, but uh, this of course happens sometimes but uh, what what i bought privately is i would say I, I would keep that private um and it's uh, it's mainly also not my decision but a, sh uh, a shared decision between me and my wife who has a great taste in art and has a very progressive taste in arts actually even more i would say i would uh, i'm conservative <laughs> compared to what what she uh, falls in love with mm -hmm. artistically and yes but what mediums are your mediums it's very very different it's drawing and painting and um one sculpture yeah. but um 
you know, it, it's for practical reasons. If, if you don't have a private museum, but if you live in a house or in a flat, this also has some practical implications. I've owned and two sculptures in my life and my cats broke both of them. <laughs> Exactly, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. Cats, kids and other dangers to artworks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. I know, I stopped. But I mean, I still, I, I will collect small sculptures, things I can put on a bookshelf kind of thing that, that aren't easily knocked over kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I had two large scale sculptures in my life and both of them got broken by my cats to my annoyance. So my last two questions are that I ask a lot of people is um, basically the first one is pretty simple and straightforward, some advice. So in some ways, uh, advising uh, about potentially people who want to collect would be nice, but also uh, some maybe some advice about people who want to become art advisors. So like some some ideas, some either some things to stay away from, like, oh, I did this thing and it did nothing for me, you know, or, you know, this avenue was very helpful in, in this direction some sort of advice along that kind of line well um, i start with your second question art advisory is uh, actually a, a field that's really am amazing as a business field because um, it, this kind of independence and honesty that comes with it um, can be very very satisfying on the other hand you need you need a lot of time and a lot of experience before you start that. So it's not, not th something you can do um, right after you, straight from university. Um, so um, it's probably something that you do after 10 or 15 years of a professional life in the arts world where you can build up the network that you need already and get the knowledge and the know-how, um, how, how things work there. Because this is what you, in the end, are selling to your clients. So. Yes, take take your time. <laughs> and, and also, if I may add, that it's a, it's a very, very complex world and you have to stay on track and you have always been informed. I mean, that's one thing, but that's also the, the nice thing about what, I, what, what we personally like. It's, it's such a challenging job. You always have to stay on top, stay informed, travel, learn, learn, learn. I mean, it's still learning. There are so many new artists coming out every year. There's always uh, different different new art. I mean, I think we, we, we do know a lot about artists, but you can't know anything. Uh, I mean, everything, sorry. You can't know everything because it's such a complex world. But that's the interesting part about it is it's that it's, it's always improving, learning, studying, Staying, changing, changing, evolving, also yeah. evolving. It's, it's, and, and that's that's something you also have to like because it's not not something that that you study and do, and then you say, "I know it all." It's no, it's it's evolving. It's continuing, learning, experiencing, traveling, and and finding new things, and, and that's that's a big part of this business as well. Small question because you just sort of touched on it, but made me think of it. Social media. Do you use it? Do you not use it? Do you find artists that way? Do you connect with? Yes, we, we use it, um, mainly Instagram. And uh, we built up some platform on Instagram over the, the last one year, I must say now. We didn't, we didn't use it before. We found out that Facebook doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Instagram is better, but it's more for us. It's not about selling. It's, it's more about when we find something interesting or we see something we travel, we like to post it and share it with the community. But we do not necessarily look like for artists or anything on, on Instagram. I mean, we, we watch, we, we do watch a little bit. We, we have a lot of artists that we're connected with, but it's not that we kind of find or look for artists on Instagram. Okay. I got the impression, um, 
uh, I'm always astonished because um, there are some artists that are really successful uh, on inter Instagram also selling their works. And I'm, uh, I, I doubt that. But, uh, I, but yeah, I hear okay. these stories also. But like, yeah. <laughs> Yes, well, I, I know some that are, that are really quite... Uh, I mean, they even use it as a sales platform. Yeah. Form, but for us, it wouldn't make sense because what we sell is a, is a uh, service that you can't really put in a photograph or something. Right. Um, so what we try to do is to just, yes, keep in the mind of the people by posting uh, things that we find most interesting on, on our travels. And yes, th therefore it's really useful to us. Great. Okay, last question. I asked this of everybody on the podcast so I'm, and I'm gonna try and make it really clear and succinct. The podcast is meant to try and make it so that everybody can be more successful. I'm, I'm going to use myself as a proxy on this whole thing. So I'm an artist myself. So the idea is, is I've created a quantifiable outcome that I'm hoping to achieve through all of my learning from all the, the people <laughs> that I talk to, which is I want to get a piece of my art on exhibition in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. <laughs> How can I... So I'm not asking for like the end result of it, but like how could an artist who's listening to this podcast place their career on the right trajectory to be able to achieve such a goal? I'm not sure if this is a good goal to have because it's, um, uh, I mean, the, the question is how you um, calculate your success or how Which you is, define yeah, your success. That's a bigger um, question. Like, like, like the word success in air quotes or like what that means to each person is different. Exactly. But um, I mean, there are, I would say there are a, a few ingredients that would be definitely necessary to achieve that. Uh, one is that uh, your art, your artistic position, your artwork must be really very interesting and very good. So uh, you have to know what you're doing and you also have to know what others are doing because um, it's a kind of, it's a little bit like science that artists uh, cite themselves or or um, uh, do do research on things that other artists did before and continue that research. So if you're good at that, then uh, then this this would be one one ingredient to do. And another ingredient that comes to my mind is that you. Uh, surround yourself with the right people, uh, artists, dealers, curators, curators yeah. all, all this, and uh, that you are present and uh, for, for, for these uh, stakeholders, so to say. And then you also need luck, I would say. <laughs> this is, yes, this is, um, but, but uh, to give luck a chance, I mean, it's always the same thing. Uh, if, you, if you give, uh, if you... Um, have a lot of opportunities some always always turn out good so if you s uh, stick to it and and um, have a in, in German you would say a, a thick skin yes yeah. um, this is definitely necessary because at the end people don't see your failures but all, uh, they see what what turn out good yes. right and uh, so you have to to um, to uh, have a thick 
have a oh, yeah. when thick I was skin and stand up again. Also, if the, the things don't turn out well, because usually when when uh, I mean you learn a lot more from failures than from your successes. Uh, but what people see is your successes. Oh yeah, when I was young, I, I had a binder, literally a binder full of all my rejections. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> but but nobody knew about those. I didn't tell anybody about those. They don't go on my CV. What went on my CV were the successes. Now everyone knows, but. <laughs> Are you kidding? It's now it's 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 volumes of binders by this point. Any any advice from you? Well, I think Valentin said most of it. I think what what's important is that you don't change yourself or your style according to market trends. Yeah, mm. that's one thing that we sometimes see. Yeah, and that doesn't help at all. Maybe okay, short yeah. term, but not long term. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you if you find as an artist you see this sells well at the moment. Don't change your style. Do what you do. Go Great your advice. way. Sometimes mm-hmm. it takes longer, but at the end, but at the end, it's it's better and more successful because, in German, you say um, say sich selbst treu bleiben, which means uh, be true to be yourself. True to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you had it straight earlier when you said like this is a long game. This is it's not a an immediate short term. You know shine brightly yeah, i mean there are examples of 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 artists i mean they have to turn 70 or 80 or even be dead be dead yeah. Unf- unfortunately i mean it's a lot better if they still see the the success but yeah i mean it, it takes some while yeah all right well thank you very much for your time thank you very much you're very welcome <laughs>